You're listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series explores how Jesus' vision for our lives creates a people and a place we want to be a part of. And now, here's today's message. The scripture reading this morning is found in John 20, verses 19 to 22, and Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. So please turn to John 20 in your Bible, or follow along on the sermon notes, or on the words um, on the screen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we confess that there are lots of voices that tell us who we are and lots of voices that tell us who we should be. We recognize inside of us that we have worked hard to try to build an identity and some of us are striving towards a different identity. And Lord, into that reality, those very, very complex Uh, thoughts and actions that are behind who we are, we invite you to come and speak. We want your voice to be the loudest authority in our minds, in our imaginations, in our aspirations for our lives. And so we tell you that just like our lungs need breath for life, we need your spirit to be leading us into our identity, to be shaping and guiding our thinking, our our perceptions, that they would align with the truth of who you are and therefore the truth of who we are. And so just simply ask that you would speak to us, that we'd have the courage to hear your word and submit to your word and respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new or newer, really great to have you. I'm so glad that you've given your time to come and worship with us. Uh, The story is told that uh, Michelangelo was seen dragging a huge hunk of rock through the streets of Florence. As he strained on the ropes that were attached to the cart on which this massive rough piece of granite uh, was kind of moving over the cobblestones, the bemused townspeople said, hey, Michelangelo, what's the deal with the big rock? 
And his answer was simple and decisive. He said, I'm pulling the rock because there's a person inside of it that's longing to get out. Inside of the husk of your life is a person longing to get out. And I know this because when you put your faith in Jesus, when you were born of the spirit, a new spiritual DNA was released into you. You were given a new identity, which birthed new desires, new aspirations, new gifts, all of which are signposts pointing you towards who you are. And, and I admit that sometimes over the years, um, those desires or those aspirations might kind of go into hibernation. They might be lying dormant in you. Perhaps the cobwebs of time or discouragement or cynicism has made you all but forget some of those deep things that you once thought about yourself or long for yourself. And, and part of my job is to help um, reawaken those things by cultivating a biblical imagination in you, in us, of, of who we are and, and what the kingdom of God might look like in Victoria in 2023. And your job is to lean into your spiritual identity by embracing the behaviors and the practices that Jesus taught and Jesus modeled. Because when you act in harmony with your God-given identity, those actions, like Michelangelo's chisel, they sculpt your life. So it takes the shape of the one that God dreamt up for you when he saved you. And so then in beautiful ways, we become more of Jesus's people and central becomes more of Jesus's place. And so the first week in this series, I told you that when you embrace Jesus by faith, the father adopts you as his child. That we are affirmed into the exact same love that Jesus the son enjoys with the father. And so the spirit begins to work in us to testify with our spirit that we are children of God, co-heirs of the exact same family identity as Jesus. And then the same spirit works to draw us together so that we would value each other and treat each other and respond towards one another as family. And so that next Sunday, I suggested that our sense of, of being part of a family grows as we empty ourselves of our pride and that ever-present temptation to impress each other, and instead we embrace honest vulnerability as a way of life. And so counterintuitively, it's our weaknesses, not our strength, that actually bind us to one another in community. Then a few weeks back, I shared that our spiritual identity is more than just being family of the father, but also servants of the king, Jesus, who himself came not to be served, but to serve. And again, the same spirit that empowered Jesus to serve God's purposes empowers us to do likewise. And we call those spiritual gifts. And every Christ follower has at least one of them because every Christ follower is at their core a servant. And so Christians are children of the Father, servants of the Son, which brings us this week to the last member of the Trinity, into whose name and identity we are also immersed. That is the Holy Spirit. 
There is a third aspect to who you are that is tied directly to him. In John's gospel, Jesus gives us great insight into who we are because of the Holy Spirit and what he is up to in the world. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this, when the counselor comes, one of his, his names for the Holy Spirit, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And so we learn from Jesus that the Spirit's job is to testify about Jesus, to point to Jesus, to illuminate Jesus, to reveal Jesus. And his efforts to do this in the world is tethered to us because Jesus says, you also will testify about me. Suggesting, uh, suggesting that testifying about Jesus is this partnership enterprise between the Holy Spirit and Jesus' disciples. And then in John 16, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus pulls back the curtain a little bit more to help us see more of the Spirit's role. And we read this in John 16. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so we see here that a key part of the Spirit's action is actually toward those who do not yet know and believe what God has done to pay for sin, to gift us Jesus' righteousness, and to spare us from the coming judgment of sin. And so the Spirit's job is to convict and convince people of the gospel. And so Jesus says, in effect, he says, it's good that I go away once salvation has been secured, because the Spirit, the one who is tasked to open up eyes and hearts um, to me and to my salvation, he will then come. The theologian Stanley Grins in his book, Theology for the Community of God, says it like this. The outpouring of the Spirit is dependent on the mission of Jesus and marked its completion. The Spirit's coming was no new thing independent from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, the work of the Spirit is the extension of what Jesus accomplished. Part of the Spirit's job description is to supernaturally intersect people and convict them of who they are and what they have done in their life. To con intersect them with Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he has achieved through his death and resurrection. And so his job, the Spirit's job, is to turn the spotlight on Jesus Christ so that more and more people benefit from God's grace available to them through the gospel. And so you could sum up John 15 and 16 and say like this, the Holy Spirit is a missionary sent by the Father to testify to the world about Jesus. Therefore, as people who are immersed in the name of the Holy Spirit, we too are missionaries sent and empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus and his gospel. That is who we are.
if you are a child of God, if you are a servant of Jesus and you have been sent into the world empowered by the Spirit to be on his mission. And this becomes even more clear in Jesus' teaching on the Spirit after he rose from the dead. Following the first Easter when salvation had been secured, the resurrected Jesus tells his disciples that this is what the next chapter in the gospel story looks like. And he says this, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, to the same ends, I am sending you to help seek and save the lost. As the Father sent me, for the same mission I am sending you, that whomsoever would believe in me would have eternal life, so go make disciples. As the Father is sending me, in the same power I am sending you, so he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Because we are sent as witnesses, we have received the Spirit. Jesus ties the two together here in this teaching. So if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are a missionary sent with the Spirit to demonstrate and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit is tasked to empower us to this end because we're gonna need him if we're gonna be successful at this God-sized mission. In fact, that's why Jesus told the first disciples at his ascension, he, says, he said to them, go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't start preaching, don't start evangelizing, don't start church planning, wait until Acts 1.8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you will be my, what? Witnesses. The Spirit is given to fill and anoint Jesus' disciples so that we can powerfully declare and demonstrate who Jesus is and what he has done. And so then, like now, this is so that the witness of Jesus gets dispersed out to everywhere we go. The witness isn't confined to Sunday at 1030s at 833 Pandora Avenue. The power of the witness of Jesus is intended to go out wherever his disciples go. So into university campuses and into spin classes and into office buildings and into neighborhoods. So all the relational connections that are represented in this room carry the spiritual potential of gospel life because disciples of Jesus are empowered by the Spirit to demonstrate and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. Because God so loves the world, the Spirit is sent on mission into the world using Jesus' disciples as his missionaries. And this calling is a key aspect of your identity. This isn't just for the extroverts in the room. This isn't just for the particularly bold among us or those who are spiritually gifted with evangelism. 
This calling and this identity is true of everyone who has the spirit of Christ. And so that great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who was never one to pull his punches, he said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I think what he's trying to get at is that so central to our Trinitarian identity is the mission of Jesus that if you do not see yourself as part of it, you are faking your identity. You might be living a pseudo, you know, cultural Christian identity. You might be living a super lame, boring Sunday Christian identity, but not the identity the Spirit of God gives to Jesus' disciples. Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, in his book, Saturate, he nails it. He says this, quote, everywhere you go, whatever you do, you are a missionary sent by Jesus to love like Jesus, overcome sin like Jesus, proclaim the gospel like Jesus, and see people's lives changed by the power of the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You are always on mission. Every part of your life, every activity and event is part of Jesus's mission to make disciples. That is what we are sent to do. And so Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you, so go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Interesting, in the Great Commission, um, our disciple-making begins with baptizing, which is a reminder of our identity as Christians, that we have been saturated with the Father. We've been immersed into the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are new creations. We are, as I said, children of the Father, servants of the Son, missionaries in the Holy Spirit, empowered to now make disciples and baptizing new people into that exact same identity. And so this commission, this calling, it just keeps rolling forward. It's like a, it's like a growing, you know, snowball that's, that's tumbling down the slope of time. It carries all this world-changing, history-making power in its commissioning. Because according to the Great Commission, the people of God are this life-giving, gospel-advancing, perpetual disciple-making machine. That's, that's who we are. We do that because that is tattooed on our identity. Now, there is something doubly beautiful about what it looks like when the Spirit begins to empower people like us to be witnesses of Jesus. Um, his efforts, the Spirit's efforts, don't just consist of trying to give you enough courage to squeak out Jesus' name in a conversation. Or, or, or make you feel so guilty about your lack of witness that you're going to, next time you talk to a friend, you're going to casually slip into it that you go to church sometimes on a Sunday, right? That's, and then maybe the Spirit will get off your back and you'll feel like, hey, I did my job. Here's the good news about what the Spirit does when he empowers people into their identity. 
guilt-driven witnesses, guilt-driven witness efforts usually leads to awkward interactions and or, you know, cheesy attempts at canned spiritual conversation starters, and they usually don't go well. I know because I've tried almost all of them, and they just don't. Here, this, this is what I used to be like. Hey, I'm Sean. You're Stephen? Oh, Stephen, nice to meet you. Did you know there was a guy in the Bible named Stephen who was stoned to death for his faith in Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? And everybody's like, what the heck? I just want to get my coffee. <laughs> like, get away from me, weirdo. Right? Sometimes we think if we're just bold enough to somehow slip Jesus into a conversation or we believe enough in our convictions about the gospel that the weight of our convictions will just automatically pave the way to effective witness for Jesus. Um, I remember a number of years back, I had a stark lesson that being an effective witness requires more than just boldness and knowledge. I was on the ski hill in Fernie, and I got, I was on the singles line, and I got paired up with another guy in the singles line, and we got on this chairlift together at the same time, and I kid you not, the bar, the chairlift, was not even down before he asked me if I had life insurance. And I was like, oh, no. And he's like, who's your carrier? What's your premium? What's your total coverage? Do you have extra for accidental death? Do you, are you happy with your coverage? Do you know that we could subsidize your coverage to a tune of a million dollars for just 50 bucks more a month? And so for the next 10 minutes, this guy went nonstop onto his well-rehearsed spiel on why I needed more life insurance. And halfway up the mountain on the chairlift, I was seriously contemplating the depth of the snow if it was enough to, I could jump off and like still survive the fall and not have to cash in my life insurance. Right? In hindsight, I wish I would ask him if he had eternal life insurance, right? Gave him back just as good. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. I was tempted to do to him the exact same type of spiel he was doing to me, thinking that was effective witness. My point is, this guy was passionate about life insurance. This guy knew the topic front to back. This guy even seemed to believe in the benefit it would have for me. But I would never, ever, ever buy life insurance from that guy. Because I could tell he didn't give one rip about me. All he cared about was his, his sales pitch. The Spirit's empowering to make you a witness isn't defined by guilting you into open your, opening your mouth. The Spirit's efforts are, efforts are not giving you a little, you know, caffeine shot of boldness so that you could Jesus somebody, right? That's not what he is doing. It's better than that. The beautiful thing about the Spirit's work to make you an effective witness is he is first and foremost helping you fall more in love with Jesus. The Spirit wants you to love Jesus the way your heavenly Father does, the way the Spirit himself does. That's Romans 5, 5, that God has and is pouring his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And part of the reason why he does that is because lovers of Jesus outwitness those with a double XL evangelism guilt complex every time. 
Because when you love Jesus that much, you want people to know him like you do. You want to introduce Jesus to the people you care about. Like I love introducing people to my wife. I love it for a couple reasons. Because I love her immensely, I'm incredibly proud of her, her mind, her character, her personality. I also love it when I introduce people to my wife for the very first time, and I see this kind of shadow of confusion that runs over their face. Their eyes go from her to me, from her to me, back to her, and I know exactly what they're thinking. How did this guy land up with that girl? Right? Some of you thought the same thing when we candidated, I know. You're thinking there's gotta be more to this guy. Maybe he's got a trust fund or something. I, I don't and there isn't more to me. Um, I like introducing my wife because in some ways being connected to her makes me appear more than I am. But mostly I love introducing my wife to people because I know that she's worth knowing. I know it's a gift to, to you to potentially have her as a friend. And so it's not a tedious obligation to introduce Kimberly to people. It's just the opposite. Central, when your heart's affections for Jesus are growing and the spirit of, of God is coursing love for God through the deepest parts of your being, mission moves from duty or drudgery to delight. And I have found over and over again that the people who take seriously the call on their lives to be witnesses of Jesus, to be on mission for Jesus, the ones who open themselves up to the spirits leading to that end find their love for Jesus sprinkled with miracle grow because the spirit is unquenched in their lives. You see, when we submit to the Spirit's leading on mission, he simultaneously pours unhindered love into our hearts. And so if your love for Jesus is stale or stagnant, I bet your mission for Jesus is too. Because the Spirit does both together. Leads us into mission. And to help make us effective at mission, he, he causes our love for Jesus to grow. And when that happens, being on mission moves from a sense of guilt, like, yeah, I should probably tell somebody about Jesus sometime, somewhere, to this reflex of love that spills out of you in ways that illustrate the good news of the gospel. And then here's where it gets even better. When your love for Jesus and your love for others is channeled by the Spirit into being a witness, something in you will come to life in a way that nothing else will bring it to life. Um, I'll always remember Nikki. Uh, Nikki was this bright girl who had just sky-high aspirations for her life, she had the right mix of, of brains and charm and ambition to pull off her aspirations. And then right in the middle of uh, university, Nikki got pregnant. And Mr. Wright thought she was Miss Wrong and split the scene. 
leaving her as a single mom with a beautiful little boy, but no life script to follow. She'd fallen completely off the life map. She had been drawing for herself all these years. And alone, Nikki's world suddenly got very small and the walls closed in on her her, and her lofty vision for her life was gone. In fact, she could hardly see beyond the next government assistance check. And I heard about her through a mutual friend and I felt compassion and and I helped her with some of the bills that she was struggling to pay and we went for coffee a few times and I got to hear her story and after a few minutes, after a few meetings, she wanted to hear my story and because it's impossible to tell my story without telling something of Jesus' story, I talked a bit about him. And the spirit was working. And she grew more and more curious and wanted to hear less about me and more about Jesus. And so I talked about why I love Jesus and why I believe he loves me. And in a moment of unusual boldness, I asked her if she wanted to surrender her life to Jesus and his vision for her future and her life. And with tear-filled eyes, she said yes. And right there in the middle of a crowded coffee shop in downtown Regina, Saskatchewan, she prayed to accept Christ. The first person I ever got to see do that. And something just came alive in me. Something told me that this is what it's about. This more than anything I had done or experienced tapped into the deep core of my identity, of who I'm supposed to be. And so I will never forget Nikki. Man, you can come on up as I try to land the plane here. I have been blessed throughout my life to do some pretty cool things. I have a pretty epic adventure resume but nothing made me feel more in sync with who I really am than seeing faith ignited in Nikki. Why? Because at the core of my spiritual DNA, I'm a son of the Father, I'm a servant of the Son, and I am a missionary in the power of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known, and so are you. And so are we. And so my love for Jesus generates a desire to see as many people know him as possible, to experience the credible love and goodness that God has for them. And my love for you generates a desire for you to experience the unparalleled joy of having the Spirit of God use you on mission to illuminate Jesus to the people around you. And so next week, I want to share with you a a teaching of Jesus that, man, I feel like it's been hiding in plain sight. At least it was to me and the people that, a lot of the people that I walk with. And it's this teaching that has unlocked for me and a whole bunch of others a pathway to a simple, practical, powerful strategy for living into who the Spirit has empowered you to be. So we'll get really practical next week. About, about what a next step could look like for you. But, but, but here's what I challenge you with. Do you see yourself on mission? Do you see yourself at the core of your identity as one who has been caught up in the story that God is writing? 
I don't just mean in theory at 30,000 feet. I mean on the ground. If you don't, then I call you to repent, to align your thinking back with who Jesus calls us to be and invite the Spirit of God to lead you back into who you are. Not only does it mean life for them, who, who God wants to use you to, to love on, to demonstrate and declare the gospel to, but it means life for you. It means more love for you. Because when we are on witness, when we live into that identity, when we don't quench the spirit or grieve or restrict him, we find love for Jesus pouring into our hearts so that we are effective witnesses. It means everything for us, not just them. And so we're gonna sing. I invite you to, to contemplate this. I invite you to align your thinking back with what scripture teaches in an act of humility and repentance. And you can say, Lord, Lord, I don't know how to do this. This overwhelms me and intimidates me. I don't know where to start. But would you meet me here and lead me in to my identity? And next week, next week we'll get super practical about how even you can feel like, okay, I know where to begin. I can do this. The spirit can lead me into this. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, very simply, may your spirit that you have breathed on your disciples, this beautiful picture from Genesis, just as you breathe life into, into humanity, you breathe your spirit new life into your new humanity. And essential to this identity is your mission, your mission of love and salvation. And Lord, we wanna be a church that is on mission for you. I don't just mean in, in program ways at an elite, I mean on the, the stuff of our everyday lives. God, that overwhelms us and intimidates us, but would you meet us here graciously and would you lead us into effectiveness so that many, many people will know you and your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.